Um, a useful lie is anything untrue that we believe because it's convenient. And I'm excited to be able to start off this series this month. We're going to be taking a different useful lie each week and talking about it and then um, helping us understand the truth that's the opposite of this lie. So the first lie um, that I'm addressing is I can't make a difference. So how can a lie be useful? Well, maybe you use it as an excuse so that you don't have to change. Or um, maybe it makes you feel better about something. Um, Or maybe uh, you can, um, it, it helps you. You might say something like, well, I can't make a difference. Why bother? You can get out of stuff that way, right? Well, here's the truth. You were meant to live an extraordinary life. Not only can you make a difference, but you were meant to live an extraordinary life. And um, not just a good life, not just a peaceful life, not just an ordinary life, but an extraordinary life. That's God's plan for you. Uh, But here we are living life, and sometimes it doesn't feel very extraordinary, right? (laughs) Day by day, you know, maybe you're going through some things. Maybe you try, and it really doesn't seem um, that you're making a difference, Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the power within you to live an extraordinary life. Um, The enemy wants you to believe the lies. Our, Our enemy, we have an enemy, the devil, who wants you to believe that you're not able, that you're not good enough, that you're not going to amount to much. But that is a lie from the enemy. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to live an extraordinary life. And you have the power of God within you to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, and to slay giants. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, So I'm going to share with you a little bit about the story of David. And some of you probably know this story. But as, as we go through the early life of David, I want you to listen to the lies that he could have believed and the truth that he held on to. And it was really remarkable to me as I went through the life of David and realized how many lies he was confronted with in his early years. Um, Now we know David as a giant killer, a great king of Israel, and a man after God's own heart. But let's look at his early life. Do you know that David um, wasn't appreciated by his own family? (laughs) you can find this story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So there needed to be a new king in Israel. So God told Samuel, the prophet of Israel, to go to the home of Jesse and anoint one of Jesse's sons as king. So Samuel goes, and when he gets to the hometown, he invites all the leaders of the city. He tells Jesse, bring your sons. And it was a big deal. It was a feast. They were sacrificing. This was a big event for this little town. And Jesse brings his sons. Well, he brings them one by one before Samuel. And the Lord is speaking to Samuel as he looks at each son. And the Lord is saying, he's not the one. He's not the one. He's not the one. Jesse brings seven of his sons before Samuel. None of them are the one. So Samuel asked Jesse, do you have any other sons? Well, what does Jesse say? I've got a son, the least, the youngest. He's out in the field with the sheep. 
Samuel says, go get him. I want you to think about what this meant to David, that he wasn't even considered a son um, on the level of his other brothers. He wasn't even invited to go to the event. What does that say about what his dad thought about him, what his dad expected of him? Now, when David comes to the, in, in front of Samuel, Samuel hears the voice of the Lord saying, anoint him, this is the new king, and Samuel does that. So David gets anointed. Um, he hears the truth about himself. He's called to be the king. It says when he was anointed, the spirit of God rushed upon him. So he has the spirit of God. You would think everything would be great with him now, right? This is life is looking up. You know, he's got it all. Um, His family's going to think better of him. But we find right after that that David's back in the field with the sheep. So apparently it didn't change his view uh, of his dad. His dad had the same opinion of him. And he's back out there with the sheep. Um. But David used that time, and God used that time of David waiting. It seemed like nothing changed, but David humbly served his dad, um, and he was being prepared. He was being prepared. He learned how to worship. He learned how to fight wild animals. He learned about the power of God within him. God was preparing him for his future. And I know some of us have been in that period of waiting, or maybe you are in that period of waiting, but God's preparing you for his purposes. So in the next chapter, we find that Israel and the Philistines are in a battle. And Israel's on one side on a mountain. Um, The Philistines are on another side. In the middle is a valley. And day by day, thank you, day by day, um, the, the armies line up against each other. And there's this giant this um, Philistine champion that's over nine feet tall that comes out to the forefront. His name is Goliath. And he shouts this taunt to the Israelites. He says, I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. When Samuel and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. What is the enemy telling them, right? Um, So David comes to the battle line. He was sent by his dad to bring provisions to his brothers who were fighting in the army. David hears Goliath. What's David's response? David says, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? David sees the truth, right? You hear Goliath shouting out the, the lie. Now, at that time, his brothers were there, and one of his brothers overheard David and said, what are you doing here? With whom have you left those few sheep out in the wilderness? So even at that point, you see, it's not only his dad didn't think much of him, but his brothers didn't either. Um, And do you see that the whole army of Israel was captive to the live David? The whole army believed this lie, that they were only the servants of Saul. But David knew that they were the armies of the living God. So David's brought before Saul. Um, Saul tells him, um, there's no way you can fight this giant. Saul takes one look at him and says, this isn't going to work. But then what does David do? Here he's confronted with another lie, and he responds this way. He, he recalls the power of God working through him. He hears the lie, but he recites the truth that he knows. 
and he tells about Saul. He tells to Saul about how he was able able to protect his sheep, how he fought the lion, how he fought the bear. And he says, and this pagan Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Saul responds and says, go and may the Lord be with you. Well, at least Saul recognized the power of God in David in that moment. So you may know this story. Um, Goliath goes out. David goes out to meet him. Um, Goliath threatens and says, I'm going to feed your flesh to the wild beast. David responds, um, ignoring the lie that Goliath said, and responds with the truth. He says, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Amen, right? (laughs) I don't know. I get excited every time I read that. I feel like that's a call that we have as believers in God to have that kind of confidence, to have that kind of faith, that when the enemy is coming against us, we declare and we tell him to his face, no, this is the truth. I know who I am, and I know who my God is. So David kills Goliath with just a stone and a slingshot. And as soon as the champion falls dead, the Philistine army runs away. And what does the Israelite army do? They take off. They give a great shout of triumph and rush after the Philistines. This sounds like a different army, doesn't it? You know, for 40 days they had listened to the taunts of Goliath and believed the lie that they were only the servants of Saul. Then David comes in knowing the truth Um, takes out Goliath, and then they realize what they are able to step into because of the model of David. So I want to encourage you to believe what you can step into. So David's um, life continued. He continued to have opportunities to believe a lie or believe the truth. But we're going to leave the story of David right now. If you want to know more, read 1 Samuel um, and 2 Samuel. covers the life of David. Now, consider this. David lived um, before Christ, about a thousand years before Christ. Um, He was under the old covenant. Well, we live after the birth, death, and resurrection of Christ. We live under a new covenant. So how does that change things for us? In the Old Testament, um, the Spirit of God would come upon a person and empower them and equip them for a particular calling. In the New Testament, that same power, that Holy Spirit, is available to every believer. So that same power that operated in David, that enabled him to conquer the enemy, that enabled him to hear the voice of God, um, to write songs to God, to prophesy through those songs, that same Spirit, if you're a believer, is within you. Um, So, in Scripture, we have the testimonies of people who are meant to model for us. Some of them are meant to be examples of us, for us. They're examples of of good and bad in the Bible. But I'm going to show you a couple of examples of people we should model our lives after. They lived extraordinary lives and set the example for us. Paul was one of those men that followed Jesus. And he said, You should learn to imitate me. You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. He's extending that invitation to us, right? 
I mean, he, he knows he's living his life as an example. And then John the disciple in 1 John chapter 2 says, Whoever says he abides in Jesus, lives in Jesus, walks in Jesus, that person ought to live in the same way Jesus lived. It's this invitation that we have. They expected us to model our lives on their lives. The Lord invites us to live a life of power, to live an extraordinary life. And it's a life of intimacy with him. It's a life of hearing his voice and doing what he calls us to do. It's a life that's available to every believer. When we look at the life of Jesus, the testimonies of what he did, those testimonies, those stories prophesy our future. They are um, the stories that that tell us what's available to us. Um, They speak of our potential in Christ. Um, You've probably experienced the power of having a model or having something modeled for you and then realizing you could do that. I think we're designed that way. I mean, even as children, you know, learning to walk and learning to talk, and, you know, we follow, we model ourselves after those who are around us. There's something about seeing someone do what you, were, you thought was impossible that invites you into that too, and invites you to know that's possible. In my life, um, every spiritual breakthrough that I can think of was because I saw someone model something, um, something in their walk with God that I had not experienced myself. And it's this constant um, uh, desire of mine to grow in the Lord and to be all that, that he's called me to be. And when I see that modeled, you know, I, I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, I saw this. Show me. I want to walk in that too. And one of the things that, um, that happened in my life, I grew up reading the Bible and reading the testimonies, especially from the book of Acts and the Gospels, about people being healed instantly. And I believed the word of God was true. I had never seen that happen in my life or when I prayed, but I believed it was true and I continued to pray. But um, then I came and encountered some people who prayed and people were healed, um, I, a group came to Thomasville for a weekend and I spent the weekend with them and I followed them around and they prayed for people and pain left their bodies and movement was restored to arms and legs that couldn't move in that way before. And I was amazed. And so I went to the Lord, I'm like, God, you did it through them. I want to operate in this. I want to see, um, I want to see your power move. And there are people in this church that were praying with me in the years before that. We gathered weekly and prayed, and we asked the Lord to see that kind of power um, regularly um, through us in our church. So that's part of the journey is seeing the model, seeing what's available, and then going for it. And it was that um, model, that example before me that changed everything. So I want to encourage you that that you are able to live an extraordinary life. And I want to give you the definition of an extraordinary life. And so here's, here's what I came up with. An extraordinary life is a life of purpose and power fueled by passion. A life of purpose and power fueled by passion. And so we want to start and look at purpose. You must know your purpose You need to have a vision, a goal. You need to know what you're working toward. If you don't know where you're going, how are you going to know when you get there, right? 
Um, have you ever lost your way <laughs> and didn't get to where you were planning to go? You need to have a, a goal in mind. What if you don't know what your purpose is? Well, I can share with you something I know your purpose is. Your purpose, part of your purpose is to know God. And part of your purpose is to love him and love other people like he loves them. So if you don't have a specific purpose that you know from the Lord, start with that. And as you minister, as you love other people and love him, he will reveal to you the rest of your purpose. So um, you have the opportunity to, to go for your purpose. And in the kingdom of God, a life of significance is the sum of daily choices toward your purpose. We have a choice every day of are we going to pursue the purpose of God in our lives or are we going to let another day slip by? You know, I think most of us are not pursuing evil, but a lot of us are like letting the days go by without pursuing what our purpose is. Not only does your life matter, your days matter. And your days are, your life is an accumulation of your days. There is power in persistence. Paul put it this way, forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, he says it another way, so I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Do you hear the the determination in Paul, that persistence that he had to pursue God? And at the end of his life, he wrote a letter to Timothy saying, I have finished the race. Like he stayed the course. He did what God called him to do. So you may know some people who lived extraordinary lives that were... um, you can see their daily persistence toward the goal. I thought of Mother Teresa, um, who one person at a time um, built a worldwide legacy that valued the life of the lowest person in society. And Billy Graham, who humbly served the Lord and his people, modeling a lifetime of faithfulness. I also thought of Roland and Heidi Baker, who's serving the lowest, the outcasts, the orphans, are transforming the culture of Mozambique. So in addition to purpose, let's look at power. You were called to live an extraordinary life, a life of purpose and power fueled by passion. So we've already today talked about the power of God a bit, right? Even in worship, even about healing. And as we looked at the life of David, we saw the power of God moving through him. Do you know you're meant to walk in the power of God? What if you knew that power that flowed through Jesus was available to you? Um, In John chapter 14, Jesus said these words, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Wow. (laughs) Right? What did Jesus do? (laughs) He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the lepers. He cast out demons. And he tells us we will do the same things he did and greater works. And um, these greater works are speaking about a lot of things, but it includes those things that he did. And do you know that there were greater works in healing after Jesus left than before he was there? Do you know that we have no record of a cloth from Jesus' body healing someone apart from him, right? 
But that's what happened with Paul. Um, We have no record of Jesus' shadow healing anybody, but that's what happened with Peter. So we see that we're called to do what God, do what Jesus did on this earth. It's not presumptuous to believe that you can do what Jesus did. Jesus himself invites you into that. He, in fact, he commands us to live extraordinary lives. In Matthew 10, 8, he told his followers, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. Like he, he expected them. He told them to do that. Do you remember him in the boat um, when the storm came and the disciples were afraid? Well, he rebuked the disciples. Like he expected them to calm the storm, Right. You know, he expects us to operate in the power of God that's in us. And there's a great prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 where, where Paul is um, praying for the Ephesians. And he's praying that they'll know God better. But why? So that they'll know the power that's within them. And he says that power is like the working of God's mighty strength when he raised Jesus from the dead. That's what Paul's prayer was, that we would know the power that's in us. Okay, our ability is clearly not in ourselves, right? It's in the power of God. So we're going to go on and look at passion. Um, An extraordinary life is a life of purpose and power fueled by passion. And, And passion, that love, must define our lives. Our lives must be fueled by the love for God we have and our love for others. Um, A religious scholar of the day came up to Jesus and asked him what was the greatest commandment. And Jesus said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus calls us to walk in that love. And what does that love look like, Um, that passion for his presence? Um, We hear it when David, in in David's words, when he says, better is one day in your house than thousands elsewhere, right? I mean, David had that passion for the presence of God. Jesus took time aside while he was on earth to um, receive ministry from the Lord and to pray and to worship God. Um, We see the, the love of God flowing through Jesus and flowing through Paul. Um, It's the love of God that compels us. In um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul talks about love. And he says, you know, you can have all spiritual gifts. You can have supernatural power. You can have extraordinary faith. But if you don't have love, you're nothing. So everything that we do has to be out of love. And it's the love of Christ that compels us. Um, I, I believe that it's fear that kills that passion more than it is failure. It's fear of what might happen. But when you step outside of your fear and go where the love of God is compelling you to go, that fear just breaks off. You can look back and say, I can't believe what I just did (laughs) or what God did through me. It's the power of God through you. So um, I want to conclude with this. I want to make sure you get this. You were created to live an extraordinary life. There's nothing in your past that disqualifies you. I I, I want to make sure everybody in the room knows you were called to live an extraordinary life, a life of purpose, a life of power, a life fueled by passion, by the love of God flowing through you. 
It's a life of love and adventure that you're called to, a life of significance, a life that leaves a legacy, a life that should be imitated by others as you imitate Jesus. You were created to live an extraordinary life. And it's not just for yourself and what God will do through you. Your life, your breakthrough creates the avenue for others to experience breakthrough. Just like I saw people minister through the power of God, and it brought me into new faith and new expectation of what God can do. When people see you walk in the power of God, it will encourage them that they can do it too. What would our city look like? if we all lived the lives we were meant to live? Mm -hmm. What if we lived lives in the love and power of God? What if we demonstrated the love of God to a different person every day? I believe that our city is meant to be a city of love, a city of refuge, a city of unity. Not of uniformity, but a place where, where every person is valued where the love of God breaks down every wall. And how is that love going to be expressed except through us? I believe that our city, that our region has the potential to model what, uh, what a place can look like when people live the lives that they are called to do. Just like an individual can model a life to another individual, I believe our city can model for other cities. And when believers love with boldness and power, those who see us act in that love will step up and catch the vision with us. I believe that we can be a model of citywide transformation, of citywide revival. But love is the key. Can we love enough to take the risk to get out of our comfort zone and go pray for someone we don't know, to speak out loud? Can we love someone enough to get past the outward appearance and go and hug someone who needs a hug and share with them the truth of what God says about them? Can we allow the love of God to flow through us that way? What if each of us demonstrated the love of God this week to someone outside our immediate family? I mean, consider what that would do in our city. I believe that a group like us could change the city. I I really believe this. I believe the group like us could um, impact the city in such a way that it would be forever changed and that we would be a model for transformation in other cities. I believe a group like us can model the radical love of Jesus, you know, the, the, the kind of love that Jesus displayed in his life on earth that others would see what is possible and accept the invitation to step into more with God. I believe that a group like us could change the world. For just like David and just like Paul um, and just like Jesus, God is with us. Right? Right. You can live a life of purpose and power fueled by passion. In fact, it's your birthright as a son or daughter of God. So... We always end with a question, right? You were meant to live an extraordinary life. Will you? Will you live the life that you were meant to live? 
So we stand as I close. Um, you know, the first step in living this life is making Jesus Lord of your life. And if you know you need to do that, in a few minutes we're going to have the altar ministry team up front. And I invite you to make that choice today, to connect with the power in your life. Um, I also want to pray a prayer over this, over us, a prayer of commitment to the Lord to be what he's called us to be. Um, How many of you felt the Lord stirring in you that desire to live that life with him? So I just want to um, pray over you, and I ask you to agree with me as I pray, okay? Lord, you are so good. You are so good, God, that you give us your spirit, Lord, that you put yourself within us. Lord, I'm amazed at your goodness that you would choose to dwell within us. And Lord, I thank you for the calling that you've placed upon us. And Lord, I pray that, um, that you would guide us, that you would direct us. Lord, I commit that we will be a people who will run after you, that we will look for opportunities to demonstrate your love, that we will have our eyes wide open to see the way you see the people around us, that we will have our ears open to hear the truth and to speak the truth to those around us, that that truth is the love of who they are and who they were made to be, God. I pray that you would help us um, model our speech after you, God, that through our love that they would realize that you are not an angry God, but that you are a God of love and that people would experience you, God. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. And Lord, as we go, I pray that you would stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders be performed. Lord, we commit all of this to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.